Hello and welcome back to the Behind the Music Business podcast with me, Danny Champion, my little independently put together podcast about the music industry, about the people that I know and have met and am continuing to meet who work in the music industry about what they do, how they got there, their motivations and everything in between. This week's episode is with international promotion, publicity and tour marketing manager for Red Bull Records, Joe Kettle. Joe is another University of Hertfordshire alumni. You can tell where I went to university. And he had me in for a chat in the London offices of Red Bull Records. And we chatted about his career in music, about his work as part of the management side of things at Rocket and the various endeavours that he had independently. And about his time, or the past seven years, at Red Bull. It was a really interesting conversation. He had some really interesting insights about the world of plugging and promo. Um, another one of those worlds that I've kind of got a bit of an idea about and a bit of an understanding of, but never actually worked in it directly myself. So it was a really good, interesting chat. Great opportunity to catch up with an old mate that I hadn't seen for a while. So yes. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Apologies for a few bangs and crashes at the end. There was tables being made, so please ignore that. But I'll shut up, and here is my conversation with Joe Kettle of Red Bull Records. So, it, so I started, so we obviously went to university together mm-hmm. um, and I fell into a job pretty quickly after that. I started at... Was that Rocket? Um, I was at Rocket. Yeah. Yeah. Is it just Rocket in here? Or have you... Was there it was just Rocket in here and pe- then there was Was there other, people in the middle? Because that's what I couldn't remember. No, there was nobody in the middle, but there was other kind of independent ventures, if you like, and a bit of attempting to manage here and, yes, and things yeah, like that. Yes, yeah, we could talk about that as well, actually. Yeah, um, but no, it was Rocket for just shy of a year and a half, I believe, and then... Straight out of uni. Straight out of uni, fresh, fresh as a bean, and then here. And it's I'm about three weeks away from it being seven years wow. here now. Yeah. You're not getting itchy, itchy do, fingers do yet? You know, do you know what's so weird? It's because we've, we've moved office quite a lot. I think in the seven years, this will be my where we currently are now, fourth office. Right. So in a weird way, every time we've moved office and rebuilt a new team and done things like that, yeah, my job's been consistent throughout, but there's been different generations of it, kind of. Has Red Bull (coughs) evolved quite a lot in those seven years? Because that's another thing that maybe happens, because I remember it's, it's like the three-year itch mm. and the seven-year itch and, yeah. and that. But if you're in a company that was one thing and then it evolved into something a bit different or your role evolves into something a bit different, I mean, you don't get that itch. Yeah, exactly. So my role obviously naturally developed over time. You know, I'm seven years in, so mm-hmm. obviously I've, I've climbed a bit of a ladder and I'm doing a different thing to what I was at first. But in terms of the company, yeah, absolutely. We've... The structures have changed um, within what we're doing. Um, 
or the way we're set up, if you like. So um, management structure and, mm -hmm. and things like that. It's, it's changed and evolved and developed to make the company run smoother and have, you know, things like that. But even in terms of the artists we're signing, the artists we're working with, um, what we're trying to achieve with those artists, what are the ethos of the company has changed massively as well. Well, yes, I want to come back to that. Mm -hmm. Something that we were chatting about over, over yeah. Facebook Messenger. <coughs> we were, yeah. Very, I wanna, very I, 2014, I was, aren't we? <laughs> you just, you pick one. Not everybody chooses the same one. No, it's everybody's on Snapchat. Um, I want to talk about, about Rocket yeah. for a bit. First job after university. Mm -hmm. Was it just the first one that came along? Do you know was that in, were you an intern there whilst at university and it turned into a job? How did that whole no, thing it was, come about? It's a funny one actually. So um, we, in, in our course, if you remember rightly, we seem to finish a lot earlier than everyone else. So we did our final exams. Or I have no recollection of that whatsoever. We, I remember that we finished about two months earlier than the rest of the university. So we were just kind of sat there twiddling our thumbs for a while thinking what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. And it was, just, it was about the time that I was kind of doing that um, independent thing with Andy and Danny and Ryan. Um, and we, we were working on a, on a management thing at the time. Mm -hmm. And I was sat with Ryan and he, meant, he said to me, have you seen that job that's been posted? And I said, no, and he sent it to me and we both applied and, right. and, it, was, and it was just from there, it was a very okay. normal, application, apply, interview, job. Right. In as a management assistant and executive assistant mm -hmm. to the boss. So do you reckon management was where you were? At the time, you yeah. were in What, what you were interested in, you interned at a management company, you did your dissertation on a management company, your first job was, in mm -hmm. was as a management assistant and you were also dabbling with yeah. emerging artists. Yeah, so you, did you go to university to go, right, I want to manage artists and so this place will teach me all the things that I need to learn? <laughs> no, I think I went, to, I went to uni already with a bit of um, buzz for that a little bit because I was doing stuff before, like not quite management stuff, but going out on the road with a band and being right. involved firsthand with the artist directly. Mm -hmm. So I always knew that that's what I wanted to do, is to work really closely directly with the artists. Who was that? Um, that would have been with the Temple Grounds boys. Was it just those then that you just kind of those at that point? Mucked yeah. around with. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then I just knew that. I mean, even though they were my, my friends or whatever, it probably made it easier hanging around with the band. But I just knew that I liked that direct contact, mm -hmm. and um, having that direct contact was something that I I knew that I wanted to kind of. Um, explore a little bit more it was only once being at university that we had that I had that I found that further drive to to t like pinpoint management is the one thing I wanted to do right and yeah I learned the tools and and the knowledge and everything like that but of, of what the music industry was but you, you don't really learn how to do something do you think your university education helped yeah. you do the next job and has helped you into this job? If you were giving somebody mm. advice, would you say, no, you know what, go to that university and do that course because yeah. 
and this is what you'll get out of it? Or would you say, you know what, just go into, mm -hmm. go into the yeah. music industry and just cut your teeth from the ground up? Well, I think ultimately I did that. Any, everybody who graduated had to do that anyway. But we still, we just had that bit of background knowledge on how <coughs> certain things worked. So, uh, copyright. You, unless you're working in somewhere where copyright is involved in a specific day-to-day -day of mm -hmm. your working life, you won't really know much about it, in a, to a certain degree. Whereas yeah. we learned about that, and there's been a few times in my career where something's popped up and I've dug into the darkest depths of my mind and been like, I know this, like, I know the answer to this, yeah. and being able to deal with it. So certain bits of practical knowledge like that, yeah, 100%. I think the biggest thing I got out of it was the people I met, be it the, the guest lecturers, the lecturers themselves, or the people within the course. Yeah. So I think there's a handful of us now from the year that I was in <clears throat> who, was, who were doing really well. Well, it's the first opportunity that you get to develop that network yeah. that is so important in the entertainment industry, yeah. I guess. It makes it so much like me and Ryan, for example, we're, we've known each other for 10 years. We're finally working on an artist together. And so it's th things, and it makes it a lot easier. Mm -hmm. It just it takes away all of that lack of personal touch to something. I can just yeah, pick up the phone and yeah, call yeah. him and, and whatever, and it makes it a lot easier. So, and then not just my year, the years above, the years below. So you guys, um, like Danny, Andy, and everyone like that, it's it's made it a lot easier to pick up a phone sometimes and just, hey, do you know anything about this person or this company? your technique when it comes to networking? When I'm it a blithering idiot. <laughs> I, That's your technique? Yeah, That's an I interesting just, technique. I just, I just I speak and hope for the best. <laughs> <laughs> I, put, I put trust in my mouth. And okay. it, um, it, it depends. I mean, I try not to take anything like it too seriously. Mm -hmm. we've, we've, we're, we're the luckiest people in the world to some extent. Like we, we work in an industry that's not serious. There's not a great deal of pressure. I mean, we put pressure on ourselves and there's pressure from our employers. But in terms of the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. There's not a great deal of pressure on us. I mean, because you're in the the wonderful world of promo mm -hmm. and publicity, which is very networking. Helps being a blithering idiot. <laughs> nice, <laughs> but it's it's very networking. Yes, it's very. Uh, you're you're only as good as your contacts. You're only as good as the people that trust in you and yep. that you trust. Mm -hmm. And so, kind of in the area that you are in, more than a lot of areas, mm -hmm. uh, you kind of. Are, are reliant on, yeah, on the people that know you and that you know, and so I guess you've had to figure out the best way of of navigating that world. I think gen generally you, you'll you'll either be good at it or bad at it, and I think that just depends on the type of person you are. I think you have to be. I'm not saying here saying I'm like, <laughs> I'm good at it or bad at it. I'm just saying in a certain. You either have to have a personality or be able to talk to people, be confident enough to talk to people, or maybe you're not cut out to be a, a, a people-facing, yeah. having a people-facing role. Yes. What do you think the industry looks for? In a promo person? Well, yeah, just in general, you know, because I think one of the things that might, that, I mean, I'm, I, I, I come from a world that is heavily reliant on networking and, mm -hmm. and people as well. Um, but my technique 
the way that I succeeded in it was not being a salesman. Yeah. Some people succeed in it because they are salesmen yeah. and they are good at selling stuff. And whether that's a piece of music to an advertising agency or whether that's a car to someone who wants a car, vaguely the principles are quite similar. <clears throat> but I was never very good at that. I was better at account management. I was yeah. better at... Campaigns. People, well, just people realising, oh, we can rely on Dan. Now, that yeah, takes yeah. longer. So you, can't, yeah. you don't just suddenly get work. Yeah, yeah, yeah after a phone call or after an email, it takes time and time and time and time. I mean, it probably takes somebody before you sowing the seeds and then you coming mm. along and continuing the, continuing the effort. I guess, from your perspective, do people give you time to get better at it? <clears throat> well, so I think first, first and foremost, if you ask anybody in promo that, how they got into it, complete accident. Like, no... Not not many of the ones I know have set out to be in promotions. It's one of the it's one of the things that looks just, like I'm in promotions now. <laughs> kind of. I got I got put there about five years ago. You said, Joe, just have a crack at that, and I'm still doing it. And I think that's a case for a lot of people that doing yep. it. A lot of a lot of the older generation of promo people have come from a sales background. Yes. So going into record stores and and selling the product before we had streaming services and everything like that. Because, um, like you said, I think it's a, it's a sales job. I'm essentially trying to sell songs to radio. I mean, it's bigger than that, bigger than that now, but fundamentally, that's mm-hmm. what it is. Um, so yeah, but I think what people look for in it—it's a very difficult question. I, most promo people I know, are the one person that you'd recognise when you'd walk into a room or a party. Or something like that. Okay. They're, they're so they are a bigger personality, a bubblier personality. They are in that. They are realm. They're a they're a, they're a social person. They yeah. love being around other people and they want to talk to people and have a good time. And I think that's not something you can put on a on a job description. <laughs> but it's, no. it's definitely something, it's not that, something that. You, and you you can develop that, I guess. You can, you can absolutely develop that. And because um, th- this is an area that a lot of those entering in the industry wonder about yes you've got the larger than life characters the characters that can you know sell doors door to door kind of thing from from the word go but there's a lot of creative people that want to work in the creative industries that aren't necessarily quite as outgoing they could be a little bit more introverted and worry that an industry that is so focused on networking and contacts and trust and being a larger than life personality and being confident enough to go you know what if I screw up I'll just crack on and continue going well I think I think there's there's a whole new generation of it now I think the old the older generation of promo people have that that reputation of of what it used to be like and it was when radio was booming you know it was the epicenter of the music industry and yeah. it was and it, it's this whole thing I think that's slightly changed that, was, that has changed now and I think the new generation, me being included in that new generation of people coming in, as promotions people, I don't think it requires as much of, of those personality traits that we were speaking about. Okay. I think it's more focused about getting your numbers right, getting, getting your, your timeline right and your numbers right and strategy. that campaign right and the strategy right and going in there and actually showing that you know your shit. Okay. So we don't get as, as many kind of blaggers or you don't come across yeah. as many blaggers anymore it's definitely more strategic now and it's okay. definitely more of a 
um, I want to say proper job, <laughs> not that it right. wasn't before, but it, it did. It used to be, I, I, I was lucky enough to work with one of the greats, Nick Bray. He worked at Rebel Records for a while and he taught me a lot of things. And um, just some of the things he used to tell me of how it used to be, it's a different world. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it was very much about, you hear all the stories about the schmooze. That's what it was. It was, it was it was making you unforgettable to the person that you're trying to yeah, yeah. sell something to. And I don't think that happens so much anymore. I think it's certainly more okay. more business, like run more like a, a business where an HR would get involved. Run more like a business. <laughs> run more like a business where like an HR would get involved with certain things that yeah. would happen and stuff. But I think it's definitely more, yeah, you've got to go in, you've, you've got to be on it. You've got to know when your records are coming out, you need to know when those impact dates are, you need to know what's happened, like it's the mm-hmm. back of your hand, you need to know what's coming. You need to just be, you're a salesperson, but you need to, you can't blag it anymore. I don't think, I think people are scrutinizing everything okay. a little bit more. I did say, talk about Rocket and then we stopped talking about Rocket. <laughs> what did you do there? So my official job when I went in was um, executive assistant. Body. Executive nice. assistant to, I would have been Todd at the time. Also with that, um, I helped some of the other managers to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, I wouldn't necessarily go as far to say their manage assistants, but to some degree I was as well. So at the time, the roster was Elton John, anybody uh, and who? So we had a young Ed Sheeran. Nice. Where did he go? <laughs> yeah, we weren't very good with him. Um, <laughs> yeah, we had Ed Sheeran. Uh, James Blunt that was there at the time. I think we, we were working on the Moon Landing album, I believe it was. Um, Lily Allen, we had that. So uh, it was a fairly out. hefty roster yeah, of and names then, at the time. And I remember when we were there, we signed a young girl called Anne-Marie, who's now one of the biggest female artists on the planet. But mm-hmm. I remember when we signed her, I mean, that was eight years ago, and people just think things happen overnight. Because she kind of, like, to the, to the public, came out of nowhere and was this overnight sensation. That was five years in the making, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just crazy that, to think, sorry, I digress, but it's just crazy to think that these things have been like I saw the early days of that yeah, campaign yeah, yeah. and just it was just going away and just writing with every single person you could uh-huh. to, to develop and a your, and your role there was very much Admin, you, were, you worked yeah. with the main manager mm-hmm. there who and you were kind of the in the nicest way possible the, Dog's the, body. the support yeah. staff yeah yeah absolutely you got everything you got all the stuff that needed to get done done yeah. so that <laughs> yes <nice>. yes <laughs> so that yeah. um, so that he could be the day-to-day manager of some quite big names he didn't want to think about the stuff that i dealt with so he well, could think bigger picture basically that's that's probably the best way to explain it is get on with that so it's out of my like, so I don't have yeah. to worry so about I don't it to get to on with it. what I want to exactly. do. Exactly. Yeah. So you were fairly involved in not necessarily making decisions, but the decision-making process. Um, no, As in you kind of had to know what was going on. I knew, so I knew what was going on. you could just go and do it. I knew what was going on, but I wouldn't say I had uh, much, much clout or anything like that. I mean, I was certainly involved in the meetings and I was certainly involved in um, 
timelines and things like that. But in terms of the bigger decision stuff, no. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you're not kind of making the decisions, no. but you're involved. Yeah. in those the decisions, yeah, so I was you don't have to just sit there and wait for somebody to give you tasks to do, no, because no, no, no. then you're kind of not really helping in that way. So from you're very green, very junior mm -hmm. in that area, you're learning the, as you go along, mm -hmm. and yet there's some fairly big things that you're having to do you know what? sort. That was the crazy, that was the thing that kind of blew my mind so much it was like I'm just this kid who's just come out of uni and I don't really I like I don't know much about the real work working world and I'm sat there with some of the biggest artists and then artists that would go on to be some of the biggest artists in the world yeah. and it's like wow what the hell is happening here and it took quite it took me quite a long time to get over that a little bit in, in to, to, okay. to, to, for it to just become a normal place of work. It was still, it still blew my mind every day when I went in. It's like, crap, who, who's gonna be in the office today? Right. Or like, who's gonna, who's gonna phone up today? Or this, that, and the other. And what am I gonna have to say to Elton today? <laughs> Something like What's that. What's Elton gonna ask me to do today? <laughs> yeah, that. Um, so, but things like that, it's, uh -huh. it, it, it took a while for it to, to become normal. But that, there's, a huge chunk of the entertainment industry is that. It's very yeah. junior, maybe even interns, mm -hmm. who are being tasked to, to do the supporting mm. administrative side of kind of celebrities, yeah. celebrity business. Yeah, yeah. And you don't think of that. You kind of think, oh yeah, those people like Elton John and stuff like that, they kind of, they have people who've been working for them for years and years mm. and years, yeah. but. They can't do everything all the time. There's yeah. just not enough hours in the day. And so it gets shunted down the line yeah. to someone who's probably a bit rabbit in headlights. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, yet it <laughs> still gets done. But did you ever feel kind of, did yeah. you ever kind of, I guess, get overawed by that at I all? Got, or did I you did. just kind of, did it spur you on? And I mean, both. It did, it, it did spur me on. It, it made me respect the artists more in a way that, bear with me here. <laughs> So when I first started, it was because we were the management company, the management of the front line to the artists, right? They're dealing with them every day. Yep. And somebody would say, oh, Joe, get so-and-so on the phone. It could be Lily or James or wh whoever. And at first, like, oh my God, I'm, I'm ringing up, let's say James one. So, and I'm shaking and I'm, I'm bricking it. But I shouldn't, because that management artist relationship is the closest relationship in the music industry, in my opinion. And from gaining a personal relationship with those artists made me respect that they're just people. Mm -hmm. Just the same way that we, we, from the outside looking in, we put them on this pedestal, don't we? That's what we're supposed to do, we're trying to sell records, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what we want. Um, now, that's made, that was one of the biggest things that, I, that I've taken with me now is working with artists. Pick up the phone and call them, text them if I need them. It, there's no stress about that anymore. Right. And it's that, yeah, they're the artists, they're the talent, but they're, they're also my mate a lot of the time, like, because yeah, yeah, yeah. I've developed a relationship with them. Mm -hmm. And it makes the job so much easier for me of having that rabbit in the headlight, headlights in the early days. Yeah. To then, I mean, if I can get over speaking to, like you said, Elton John, mm -hmm. then I can speak to anybody, anybody in the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's the point I was trying to make. So that's kind of, 
what helped me really early on mm-hmm. in the first instance. Like, if I'd, if I'd started with a, working at a label with really small artists and then worked my way up and then all of a sudden I get a brand new job and I've never spoken to an A-lister before, mm-hmm. that might cloud my judgment on how start, I'm doing the job. Yeah, you can start overthinking something that's actually probably quite simple. During this time, you were also managing your own yep. uh, band. How did that? Go? How did your foray into management go, or is it still going? Um, did you sack it off? <laughs> sack that off. Yeah. Like that. Um, no, it's not going anymore. Um, do you know what? it was? It was good fun, but we were we were, we were a bunch of blaggers. Like we were. But that's management. Isn't it, it is management. Did you just find that it's it was just a exactly. lot of work for very little reward, and you just weren't in a position to? I think it was a lot of work. Stick at it. It was a lot of work for people that didn't know the lot of work that needed doing. Um, running around pretending that we knew what we were doing because we had been to university. I'm speaking for myself, I'm not speaking yeah. for the others. Um, and it was kind of, and then it tested relationships with the people that were involved in it as well. Like our friendship, our friendship group was first and then we started doing the management thing together. So it, mm-hmm. did, it stretched friendships as well. And, Created. You were um, mates with the band as well, weren't you? That, yeah. So that I was. Came they were to play a couple of times. Yeah, I think they because they were my old friends, and then I'd introduced them to the others. Yeah. Uh, so I think I had a little bit more of a um, personal involvement in it, and they just weren't a, a commodity to the to the business that we were trying. To yeah. Um, so yeah, I think there was all these things in play, but I think generally with with working at Rocket as well, and just the manage the management thing in general. I didn't know anything. And I think that affected a lot of what I was doing. I, I didn't really understand how things worked within the industry. Bearing in mind, I'd been thrown into a, a very big part yeah, of the industry yeah. as well. Well, because you were kind of seeing the same area of the industry from, from yes. two polar opposite ends of it. You were part of a very, very big, well-renowned, well-respected management company that had very big artists Mm -hmm. which meant that you could pick up the phone to someone and say whoever and they would listen to being or starting a new company Mm -hmm. that nobody knows about with artists that nobody knows about and I'm guessing you didn't really want to trade one with the other one because that could potentially hamper your your day-to-day job and so it's it's I mean management is hard very hard I think and it's it takes hardest. a lot of work yeah. for very little reward, yeah. reward for a long time and then as soon as you get over that hump mm. then it starts to work out I think it's the most difficult because your 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 head's always on on the chopping board you know what I mean you can a lot of managers yeah can be fired in the blink of an eye a lot of bigger companies obviously do artist agreements and things like that to protect themselves, but mm-hmm. generally a lot of lawyers and things like that will recommend that an artist doesn't no. sign a management agreement. Right? Yep. Um, so your every single day could be your last day as a, as a manager. I mean, can in any job, mm-hmm. but you know what I mean. Um, and you've, just, you've got to do everything in your power to give that artist the best career they want. That's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure. You're yes. there before, saying you've been there from the beginning, you've been there before a publishing deal, before a record deal, before any songs on radio, before you've even mentioned in a magazine, before you've even known how to put before something on streaming. Before any money. So, anything. <laughs> at all. Yeah. 
yeah. and they expect you to go out and get all that for them. It's a lot of pressure. Mm. The ones that do it, hats off to them because it's a very, very difficult job. Yeah. And you ch- tried it and... Didn't like it. <laughs> In joke. And then you went and got a, got a job at a record label that's part of an energy drinks company. Yeah, it's a weird one, that, isn't it? So Rebel Records, we've been around for about 12 years now as a record label. Seven years, seven and a half years in the UK. Uh, so originally launched in the US? Yep. yep um, as part of the as studios no, as, side as of pa- things? As part of um, Rebel. Um, but was it, did Red Bull open a studio and then it go into I think the studios records or was it all kind of... No, all? they were very separate, separate. I mean, when Rebel Records first started, um, we acted very independently from the brand and we wanted to um, build ourselves as a respected, fully functioning independent record label, which I think we did in the early days really well. We had huge success with Able Nation. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, uh, that, yep. that track sale and it's still selling. I think it's 15 million worldwide now or something. It's, it was one of those, yeah. you can't predict it kind of songs. Yep. It just blew up. And I think that really helped us in establishing ourselves as a independent record label. And we've built from there, I th- like we've got Beartooth now that are absolutely smashing it. They're coming back and they're gonna do the like, biggest headline show to date in London mm-hmm. at the top of next year. And um, so, we, we have built f- from the ground up, yes, part of an energy drink, but... Well, I was going to say, it's, it's a bit, bit, of, bit flippant of me to say <laughs> just part of an energy drinks company because Red Bull is somewhat more than yes. a company that makes drinks. How does it all fit together? So Red Bull, the brand, mm-hmm. which has the drinks bit, which is where everything started from, but then it has the various endeavours in sports, mm-hmm. the various endeavours in music. What else is there and how do they all yeah. sit together? So a lot of them either come under culture or marketing. So like sports marketing, mm-hmm. like culture marketing, uh, we've got esports, you know, you've got athlete marketing. Yep. Um, everything points back to brand messaging and, and selling cans, ultimately. From that side of it, Records and the music side, not so much directing back to cans because we fall under, uh, well, the culture don't, but we fall under, um, we have Red Bull um, Media House, which is right. our media arm, which is, you know, Rebel TV, uh, Rebel Music, Rebel Records falls under that somewhat. Um, so there's many different things. We've got Rebel, uh, Rebel Music Publishing. Okay. Uh, which sit, sits in that as well. Uh, we have a big publishing arm as part of Rebel Records as well. Um, so do you take, do you automatically take the publishing? Not automatically, it's deal by deal basis. But it, yeah, so they're, yeah. They're, they're kept separate. Mm-hmm. Very separate, yeah. Um, does the company, at the very least, if, if publishing and records are up, mm-hmm. do you try and get both? I, th- I mean, I think, I mean, yeah, absolutely, who wouldn't? Yeah, I think it's a no-brainer. Some people yeah. don't. Really? Some people, there are certain, so... Even if they're that, that, that separate, run separately? Yeah, I think some people, you just go, you know, you know the, the companies are 
put together strategically differently. Okay. And they go, right, actually, this is what we want in our publishing catalogue and this is what we want in our oh, yeah, records okay. catalogue. I, yeah. I mean, there's, there's artists that we do and there's artists that we don't have. Um, you know, so I, some came along and had publishing, some wanted to remain self-published, some, yep. but I think for the most part, we, we aim to, to get both. I think it makes okay. Yeah, it uh, makes business sense, sense. If, that's, yep. if that's the business model. So, yeah. your role, promo publicity, yeah, I look after marketing. So, what does that look like day to day? We've touched <coughs> on a little bit of some of the bits and bobs, but what? So, what, what will this week look like, for example? Okay, so just quick bit of back backstory on that. So, the UK label here, we act as a satellite office for all of international operations. Right. So, we are run out of LA, and um, the team here. Look after both of you. Both of the team, the team, the team here. Uh, look after our international operations, excluding North and South America. Yep. Yeah, we have the global teams there that assist us and stuff, but that's generally what we do. Yeah. So I'm looking after the promotions and publicity for um, UK, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, Southeast Asia, mm -hmm. etc. So my kind of day to day is well, kind of in tandem with that, is, is basically running the promotions campaigns in each one of those markets where we see fit to run the current campaign. Okay. Now, I don't do everything myself. That's ridiculous. So I, <laughs> we, we do work with third-party teams yeah. in a lot of different countries that we work in. So we would hire a radio plugging team or a publicity team in mm -hmm. Germany or Australia or wherever. And a lot of my day-to-day -day job is liaising with those teams. Think globally, Give, act locally. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, giving them the strategy, yep. talk, like s telling them the label vision for the artist, working closely with them right. in each market. Um, there is some, when I'm out at some, in some markets, I do have relationships with stations as well. So you, know, you, you go in and you do your meetings yourself just to put a face to the label. I always, I always think that's a really important thing to do. Mm -hmm. is to make people aware of how much a certain artist means to the label. And I think by doing that, you have to show face. Yeah. Yeah. So I try to do that as much as I can. Um, and I do, I do a lot more, obviously, in the UK, hands-on, because we sit in the UK. Yep. So, but we still work with teams here as well. Some stuff we've, we do in-house, some stuff we don't. Um, well, I guess, again, you've got... there's literally a desk with two computers on it upstairs and yeah. you there's not one way of setting up a record label there's no. lots, of, lots of ways you have people kind of manning the the ideas yeah. the strategy or just managing the external yeah. or third-party companies that you work with and maybe those companies change yeah. depending on the project yeah. that you're working on rather than employing yes a bunch so, of people but you I know, think maybe I'm that's where things might be heading well, we do have a we do have a bunch of people. That's the thing. Like we do a lot of the stuff now is global, right? So with the streaming services and DSPs and everything like that, a lot of it is global. A lot of digital marketing now is global. Yes, you can do very focused, like geo-targeted digital marketing, but a lot of it you can do can kind of fall under a global category, mm -hmm. if you like. So we do have our global team. We have you know uh, market directors and project directors and and creative directors and social media people and all sorts in the LA office yep. who work across like a global scope. 
and they we will work really closely with them when doing a campaign but in terms of that you know Jim does all of the sales international sales and marketing mm. so he's just he works really closely with all of our label partners um, like our distributors globally and things like that and yeah. making sure that everything is set up Obviously, he does a lot of the creative stuff as well so with our UK artists we do a lot out of here more so than kind of do like UK out rather than a lot of UK and stuff. Okay. So um, it changes. I mean, it's the beauty of having a, having a small label is no one day is the same. You kind of do everything, you know. Is there a, a signing strategy? Because I was having a look at the, the roster mm-hmm. and you've obviously got all the alumni yep. roster, uh, artists that have come through and moved on for whatever reason and but the roster at the moment is quite tight it's quite small now yeah, is it something that you're you're always kind of is it when the right thing comes along you'll look to sign it or is it that's what it is at the moment but this time next year you want mm. it to be double in size is that is that yeah i think there's that sort certainly of conversation has happened there is certainly things on the horizon that we're looking at and and growth and I don't, there's no A&R, um, full stop, it's not A&R. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, <there's a laughs> we don't suffer about with that. Um, nice. there's, um, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no um, <coughs> rules in what we sign. I mean, a lot of people, when they look at the history of Rebel Records, will say, well, you're a rock label. I don't think that was ever deliberate. I don't think that was a deliberate act to become a rock label. We just signed great bands that were rock bands. You know, were the um, people who were running it at the time was, was that just their jam? Or no, I mean, a lot of the you know, I don't think their jam. <laughs> Behave, Daniel. Was that what they were interested in? Um, no, I don't, I don't. I think it was just you know, those great artists came along at a certain and time, and, and we. Because I mean, them. when I you're think it was when you're in a, in an indie label, mm-hmm. you don't just kind of go, well, let's see if I can get one of everything. You you do. Yeah. You go. This is what I like. This is what I know. Yeah. And I know <laughs> that that is good at that. We also have. I mean, we do have a lot of very different tastes, and and yeah. we have very genre specific people in different roles. You know, um, we're developing our our urban division. They call it in LA. So that's something that we've been working on. In, in recent year or two um, but that involves employing staff who are focused on like urban division music that also rather f- than rock stuff you know you've got to but that's also that. very much a, I think when you've got it's very deliberate yeah when, you, when you've got the financial support of a much larger corporation and you go, you know what, this is where the music industry is going mm-hmm. from a, you know, this is what is popular, this is what is the current trend, you'd kind of be a bit silly not to mm-hmm. at least yeah. have a crack at it rather than just going, well, yeah. we're not very good at that. But I think, I think... Well, that's not what we do. Yeah, I think, I think we've, we've, all, we've always been about taking risks and doing things on our terms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. There is a, there is a slight trend follow there, but then... Well, that's not a bad no. thing. But then I wouldn't say that's where the label's going. I'd say that's a division that we're exploring. Okay. I wouldn't say that we're turning into like an urban label. But does that sort of thing create, not problems, but when you've been operating with rock music for so long, 
mm. or predominantly rock music for so long well, and mainstreamy stuff. Yeah, a lot uh, of pop stuff. And, you know, for stuff for yourself in the promo and publicity area, do you suddenly have to start going, well, I need to start making new contacts in new areas? Um, You're going to go, and this isn't where my focus has I been. I tell you what, yeah, One Extra was a big one for that. One day, I was like, I've got to start plugging One Extra now. <laughs> I've never done that before. Yeah. So yes, you're right, there is. And then there's a lot of other uh, stations that exist in that world that wouldn't exist. And I'll say like Rinse, for example. Mm-hmm. There's like another station that you have to go, right, I've, I've got to target this one now. But then you've got like Capital Extra and, and all these other ones. Yeah, they're, they're a bit more out of reach at the moment because they're the top, top 40 yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, stuff. But there's a lot of different stations. I guess that but then ultimately they all... They are, Radio One is still obviously a key station. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it does change. It certainly changes. It's like, oh, can't go to Kerrang this week. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess that's kind of going back to that what we were talking about right at the beginning. The you've been here for seven years. Mm-hmm. Now you've got this whole new thing to, it's to play with. It's really exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. It's it's it doesn't. It's not stagnant because it hasn't. Like a lot of I do speak to a lot of people about it. And they say, seven years, God, that's a long time. I say, yeah, but I'm doing this now. It's like, it's like <laughs> four different companies within yeah, that seven yeah. years that, that's, that's happened. So each one's bit, bit like renewed my, um, yeah. my love for it and joy for it. So it's, yeah. Plugging promo. Mm-hmm. In 2019, yeah, we've talked about radio a lot. Is radio still radio as so important as it's ever been, or can you see diminishing returns on it because of the wonderful world of online and streaming? So, big question: Do you want me to answer that globally because it's different in every country, or do you want to do anything from to your perspective? I think this is. I, I'm interested. We we were chatting online, and you said you haven't talked to a promo guy or promo person. And so here's the opportunity to kind of a little bit of the insight, Mm. inner workings of record label artist promo. And, you know, so where is radio still important? How is, and then let's focus on the UK. We're in the UK at the moment. Radio is still very important. Yep. Uh, The figures are rising, I think. um, um, Virgin are growing they, they relaunched about three years ago I think their numbers are getting bigger and bigger and bigger they okay. just they just Chris Evans came on this year I think to, to do the breakfast show and their numbers have massively raised that's commercial radio you know um, it's they're not selling music they're selling car adverts you know <laughs> so yes. they're but still people are listening to it and people uh-huh. the new music played on those stations is less I mean it depends important in what area getting people listening to music or people discovering music from our perspective it's getting people listening to music and listening to the newer side of things but when if you're talking about commercial Mm. radio the virgins the capitals the hearts that's keeping people that can go out and buy new cars and insurance listening to the radio i guess radio x as well radio x is 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 growing their listenership's like going up there's still a correlation between 
the most played songs on Radio 1 and Capital to streaming numbers. Yep. There's also some cases where there's no correlation at all. Um, but within the industry, it's one of those things where you go and try to do a press campaign and they ask, how are you doing at radio? And it's always, it's, it's still, still yeah. that question that's been going around for years and years and years. So what's happening at radio? What's happening at press? What's, what's happening, happening on TV? What's happening in sync? Yeah. What's and the I, plot? Uh, and it's, and I, think, I think now, radio and streaming services is a difficult thing at the moment. The relationship we have between the two. Mm-hmm. If I go into radio and say, well, it's had 200 million streams, they're going to say, great. But we want them to listen to the radio, you know. So, <laughs> we don't uh, want that. So a lot of times now the ra- radio are looking at, at audience, artist growth through audience figures of like live, for okay. example. So you, go into, you can go into Radio 1 and say, I've got this artist. And rather than saying the first single had 500,000 streams, this one's had 2 million, this one's had 5, you, you would probably mention it, but you, you could... They've just sold out a tour. Yeah, you'd be like, we, we came to London, the first show they ever did was with Barfly, and now, they, now they've done Shepherd's Bush in two years. Yeah. They're, they're relevant to a market. People are responding to it. People are buying tickets and making the effort to go and see them. Yep. They're, they're causing a stir within the UK. Mm-hmm. So if you play it on the radio, people are more likely to recognise it, understand it, and carry on listening to it. When you're having these conversations, when you're selling your artists into... I'm guessing it's the radio playlists that we're talking. You're trying to get them playlisted. You're trying to get them regular yeah. opportunities, as opposed to features and interviews and things like. Or maybe yeah. you're doing a bit of both. Is this happening face to face? Is this happening over emails? Is this happening over phone calls? Is it a mixture of all of them? Is it dependent on mm. who you're talking to? Are you, you know, are you, are you being a salesman on the phone, yeah, or is it? something a little bit different than what people might be expecting I think it goes back to ha- like what we opened with on like the new generation versus the old generation right. of promotions people when I was working um, with Nick he'd, he'd be on the, he'd phone someone email someone go in and have a meeting with them the old school door to door salesman stuff you know the yeah I've just sent you like something on email text someone to ask if they got it like not not pestering, not hassling, yep. but you know, just making them aware that you are there and you've sent them something and you're plugging something. And the, the normal way of doing it is going in and having a plugging meeting, regular plugging meeting, which happens a lot of people do on Tuesdays. Um, and you go in and you speak to the producers for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. The worst one, I used to hate it. Is that where what, producers in a room and they kind of have this stream of yeah, the worst press one is and pluggers and PR people coming in to, <laughs> to flog on the track? Everybody has a 10 minute window and then sometimes you go in there and you, it's really funny because it's, it's on the eighth floor of the BBC building and you just sat there and it's like this little, there's like a few rooms and just a few sofas. And all the pluggers know each other because you've all been in this yeah, like, yeah, yeah. bit. And it's like you're sat there with like two records to play, and then you go in and they're like, oh, Polydor first. And they've got like a stack, a <laughs> foot high, and you're thinking, I'm going to be here for ages. <laughs> like, you, know, <laughs> you just know you're going right. there. And when, you, when, you're, when you're before, when you're after a major, you know you're going to be there forever. <laughs> and then someone's after you, I'm going to be quick. <laughs> <laughs> I just got these two. And yes, they still have CDs if people are, mm-hmm. people still go in with physical CDs to play. In plug meetings, which I always find bizarre. I just have a little iPod, but 
Um, but a lot, a lot of people, you, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd have a CD and you'd put notes on it, streaming, figure something, you'd give it to them. So yeah, there's yeah. loads of the things. But um, yeah, there's Is that many. the same with Spotify? Are you going into Spotify and doing the same sort of thing these days? Do you know what? There was a big conversation about it. I think it was about four years ago. Whenever George joined Spotify, George Okutu just joined Spotify, he, he brought over a lot of radio people to Spotify. Mm-hmm. And there was this big conversation about who's going to plug it. Is it going to be the sales and marketing teams or is it going to be the pluggers? Because all, all the old radio people, whatever. Eventually it turned out they don't meet anybody. And it's, <laughs> they, 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 we deal with the sales teams with our distributor, deal with them a lot, and, and Jim does it. Um, I don't think many of the radio people end up plugging Spotify. I think that's. Well, no, but there's this a, whole new world of yeah. streaming pluggers mm-hmm. now. That I guess yeah. people that just went, you know what, I'm going to make this my niche. And so you. Now there's thousands of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same with music supervisors, isn't it? But I, th- but I think what they're doing is they're trying to get you on playlists. Yeah. But they could be user generated playlists as opposed to Spotify generated playlists. Yeah, so yeah. they're just going around hitting up every next person in their bedroom who's got a thousand followers or whatever. And you t- I tell you what, some of them work. You get like, you get 50 of them. And you'll start to see a few bumps mm-hmm. on your numbers, you know? Yeah. yeah. You mentioned when you got here, you had someone who kind of took you under your wing. Mm-hmm. Was that a massive, massive help? Yeah, well... For you to kind of learn the ropes, uh, see someone to, to, take you, to take you on, to... Yeah, I mean, I'm lucky, I was lucky enough that when we first joined, there was a complete different generation of people at Rebel Records. So, and I worked with some amazing people when we first joined. Um, Angie was here and she was amazing and taught us everything from those early years. And then there was the next generation, you know, working with people like David Hazel with International is at Sony now, and it's um, taught me loads of stuff about what happens outside of the UK. And mm-hmm. there's all these people that are great, but it was when I first got into promotions and when Nick joined, yeah. Because Nick was the one who just first started taking me out to radio meetings and introduced me to that world and, and how it's done and how he did it in his own unique, special way, nice. <laughs> which was incredible. and just a good guy as well so it was super important to be able to have not someone like that to fall back on but someone to like lean on like do you think lean. it was really it's because i i'm i'm for, on a very personal level i'm both i'm kind of 50 percent thankful that i never had that because i kind of was just yeah. here's the thing that you have to do now go do it so i was kind of given a little bit of autonomy but then the other 50% of me really wishes that I'd had that couple of years at least mm. for someone who had been doing it for 10 years to kind of take me under their wing yeah. and, and show me the ropes and then let me mm. go and do my own thing. Because I've seen a few people, you know, this is obviously in publishing and, and supervision where I've seen that and I've gone, ah, oh, I wish I had that. I know what you mean, but I think it's a case of when I first, me and Nick started working together, I'd already been at the company for maybe two and a half, three years. So I'd already had this foundation of, not autonomy as such, but building myself up to a certain point. And like I said, people fall into promotions by accident. And it's like, they're like, do that. Then Nick joined, it's like, okay, well I've tried to do this. It's good now that somebody's here to help me. Uh And you just learn a million things. Like Nick, don't work with Nick anymore. But there's still, I still find myself 
something like, what would Nick do? What, okay. How would he handle that situation? Yeah. And, it's a, and that's, a, that's a good thing to have in the back of your mind, somebody to go back to and be like, how would they handle it? Mm-hmm. I think. It's and then you pay it forward when you get to a certain point, you mm-hmm. get somebody in. Yeah. And you start. Exactly. Yeah. The legacy You're lives the Jedi, <laughs> the Padawan. Last question. What's been the, or the last two couple of questions, what's been the, the most fun thing that you've worked on this year and what are you looking forward to? What's happening in 2020? Uh, 2020 is going to be huge, but the most fun thing I've worked on this year, we, we rounded up um, some campaigns, but we started working on the Floors campaign, which has been, it's taken up the majority of my year, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, UK-based band, so we've just developed everything from the beginning. So artwork, creative, we've done the music videos, you know, we've done everything from the UK, just Jim and I really leading the campaign cool. with the help of um, LA, of course, but mm-hmm. we've really been driving it. So that's been really fun. Having We haven't done that in a while. Yeah. So that was nice. Next year, we've got some big records coming out next year. So How many are you allowed to, to mention? Yeah, um, Aces are coming back at some point mm-hmm. in the year, which is going to be amazing. I love those girls. We've got Beartooth playing Roundhouse in February, which yep. um, is going to be huge it's going to be their biggest global headline show to date um it's going to be the end of their third album campaign straight into studio and hopefully we'll have something soon after that so and then of course there's new signings mm-hmm. which are still re- really being worked on under the radar we haven't been announced what we've got them or anything like that so um hopefully we can talk more about them at the top of next year and start working on kind of the, the next generation of rebel records if you will and Move into new new worlds. Cool. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a big year actually, the biggest one yet. Nice. <laughs> Thanks for chatting. Thanks for having me. Hopefully the banging and crashing won't be too bad on the re- yeah, on the record. I'm, s- I'm sorry, sorry about that. That's um, I thought I thought I planned this better. It's all right. No worries. <laughs> Massive thank you there to Joe for fitting me in so close to Christmas. It gets a bit manic at the end of the year, so really appreciate that. Um, as with the last few episodes, you can find various links to Joe's socials as well as the Red Bull Record socials and websites and the like via the episode description. If you would like to get in touch with me at the show, please email behindthebusinesspod at gmail.com or follow me on Instagram at behindthebusinesspod or on Twitter at Danny Champion. I'm going to take a bit of a break over the Christmas period and into 2020 uh, and do a bunch of stuff and launch a bunch of stuff in 2020. So there will be stuff happening uh, at the beginning of 2020, um, but new episodes of the podcast will take a little bit of time to put together and and record. So please do listen again to the other episodes. There's 44 conversations that I've had over the past year and a half there now so do listen back to those do share these episodes with those who you know who might be interested and until i return with new episodes in 2020 thank you so much for being involved for getting involved for 
listening and for reaching out. And I will look forward to giving you some more interviews very, very soon.